0: Hi, I'm Cam. And I'm Katie. And this is the Nerdbook Review.
1: Today, Cameron and his friend will be reviewing The Forever War by Joe Haldeman. Haldeman? Haldeman. Haldeman. Haldeman.
0: Yes. It is a book that won the Hugo, the Locus, and what's the other big one?
1: I don't remember. You're putting me on the spot here. (laughs) I've been playing Civ 5 all day. I don't have brain space for book stuff.
0: (laughs) But yes, it won all three of the big uh, awards back in the 1970s. It is a riff on the Vietnam War. That's not a, we're not questioning that. It just is. (laughs) And, (laughs) And
1: it is considered to be one of the two best military sci fi books ever, along with. Starship Troopers. Yes. That's a pretty big uh, endorsement there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll get right into it then. It will just be Casey and myself. Thank you. Have fun. Hi, I'm Cam. I'm Casey. Yes, we have a new guest today, Casey, and we are going to review The Forever War by Joe Haldeman. So let's talk a little bit about our new guest. Hi, <laughs> um, I just want to make one thing clear,
2: I have watched the Einstein miniseries on the cable, and uh, so I'm an expert in physics. I also recently watched A Theory of Everything, and so that I'm a double credentialed physics person. Okay. No, I'm an expert.
0: I'll, I'll just say that, I'm an expert. You know what? In today's America, you're an expert.
2: (laughs) Wikipedia-wise, I'm very much an expert.
0: (laughs) So, uh, Casey here. Uh, Casey and I have been friends for... Too long. Oh, geez. Pretty close to 30 years these days, huh? Yeah. Yeah. We've known each other since we were wee little tykes. Mm-hmm. And we went to high school together. Then we went to college together. Yes, we were roommates for geez, like five years after. Yeah, a college. Yeah, a long time. Yeah, long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, fraternity brothers together. So just all around general uh, idiots. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Casey is quite the reader. You read?
2: I read uh, mostly snobby books. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of highbrow literature. Um, because for some reason I think it'll make me smarter and or a better person and that is completely false.
0: Well, it clearly, I know you, it hasn't made you a better person. No,
2: my moral character is, um, somewhere in the negatives. So. Questionable at best. Questionable at best. Very questionable.
0: But Casey is, uh, more intelligent than me. There's, there's no questioning that one. Hmm. Hmm. I don't think so, but maybe. (laughs) So, uh, let's talk a little bit about the book we're going to be reading. Hey, Uh, Cam, that's a good idea. Yeah, (laughs) good job. (laughs) So, uh, it is The Forever War by Joe Haldeman. It was published in 1974, so just like the one that I did with Barry that was published in the 50s, this one's going to have a few more uh, spoilers than usual. Sure. Yes, this book won pretty much every major war- award for science fiction, uh, including the Hugo, Nebula, and Locus. And the Kindle version is what I read. I'm not sure what you read it on paperback, probably. Yeah, paperback. Yeah. But I think it's somewhere around like 235 real pages long. The one I read has an intro both from the author and from John Scalzi, who is another big-time uh, sci-fi guy. Yeah, I don't know him. Is he a writer? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. This book is basically considered the seminal work on military science fiction. Uh, Starship Troopers is probably the other one. So if you haven't read this one, you're like me, who isn't a big sci-fi guy. But if you are a sci-fi person, you probably should read this for sure.
2: Well, and speaking of Heinlein, um, I was reading a little bit more about Halderman today. And apparently uh, after he won, I think it was the nebula Heinlein like came up to him and said like basically you put the mark on sci-fi oh, okay. military type yeah. Of books yeah I think so he, that was pretty cool
0: yeah he he actually told him that like you know that this is this is quite the book I think he jokingly said like I think your book might be okay yeah at first you know yeah there are a couple of sequels that were written in the 90s one of them is a thematic sequel uh what one was that one called again that was the Forever Free, or Forever Peace. Forever Peace. Yeah, and then mm. there was one actually called Forever Free that basically it takes up like 15 or 20 years after the events in this one end. So it's actually a real sequel. Right. Um, we're going to have Casey read the Goodread blurb that I'll, we always read. I'm going to give it a shot. So yeah. <clears throat> Are you ready?
2: <clears throat> yes. <clears throat> <clears throat> Leave that in.
0: Oh, I left it in last time. Katie was unimpressed. They're not liking (laughs) those kind of noises, you know? She didn't even like to listen to it.
2: Okay. Goodreads blurb. The Earth's leaders have drawn a line in the interstellar sand. Despite the fact that the fierce alien enemy that they would oppose is inscrutable, unconquerable, and very far away. A reluctant conscript drafted into an elite military unit, Private William Mandela, has been propelled through space and time to fight in the distant thousand year conflict to perform his duties without rancor and even rise up through military ranks private mandela is willing to do whatever it takes to survive the ordeal and return home but home may be even more terrifying than the battle because thanks to the time dilation caused by space travel mandela is aging months while the earth he left behind is aging centuries well done well done thank you
0: and as usual i'll give my quick two sentence or so take on it and this also is taken basically directly from the author as well so a sci-fi take on the vietnam war that haldeman fought in and the sense of time dislocation one can feel after returning from fighting a war easy peasy there's the whole book right there bam reviews done yeah, for the most part, I think so. <laughs> yes. So, uh, my quick thoughts are, uh, it was a super fast read. I read it in an afternoon. It's only, like I said, 235 pages long. I'm not sure you know, how kind of a pretty easy read is a general
2: rule. Um, I was actually in kind of a reading slump at this point, and the only reason I chose this book is I was looking at past winners of some of these awards, and... Uh, books that were fast-paced and not too long. No, oh, okay. So, um, did I read it fast? Not really. Um, some of it I actually listened on audiobook while I was playing mm-hmm. World of Warcraft. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and some of it I read out of the physical copy of the book.
0: Okay. Yeah, I uh, like I said, I had an afternoon where for some reason Bran wasn't uh, constantly yelling, Daddy, do this, or Daddy, do that. <laughs> Tearing so, up the house. Yeah, yeah. So it was just, you know, an easy read for me. Um, we, like we've already mentioned that it's, this book's 40 years old and is the seminal work on uh, military sci-fi. And it's based directly on Haldeman's, um, his own experience of fighting in Vietnam and, and the way he felt when he came back like i think his wife's uh, her maiden name was potter right and so i mean even these characters are basically him and his wife even you know
2: right and uh mandela is what do they call that when they mix up the letters.
0: Oh, an anagram of his name? Yeah. Uh, Mandela is basically
2: an anagram of Halderman. Uh, there's just an extra uh, L in there, I think.
0: That's so great. we're clearly not stretching when we're saying what we're saying about these things. It's it's well-known and well-documented, you know, the, that this is about his experience in Vietnam.
2: Right. So we discussed how his uh, Vietnam experiences were reflected in the book a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, one of the things that was most apparent to me was uh, their first encounter with the the Torrens, the main enemy of the book, Mm -hmm. um, reminded me of, like, the Mylai Massacre, where, like, they just destroy these people, and they had, like, no defensives. They they weren't attacking back or anything. And at the end of it, after, after all... All the fighting was done. They kind of they sat back and they were sort of horrified by what they had done. Um, so I mean that was one instance I I think that uh, that really made a mark on me. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and they fight basically. So this is it's gonna be it's broken up into sections. So they'll be fighting, then they'll go back to Earth, then they'll fight again and go back to Earth, and so. What's going to happen too is is that at various times one side or the other could potentially have vastly superior tech, just based on like you might jump out of uh, space and or you're faster than you know light travel, and you've been traveling for what only seems like a few months of your own time, but was maybe a hundred or two hundred years, and you'll jump out and land in next to a ship that's vastly superior tech that was built you know a hundred years later. And so this is a hundred years in the future. A hundred years in the future, sorry. Right. And which only seemed like a few months to you because of time dilation. And so it's it's kinda like that too, where, you know, for the most part we had vastly superior tech to who we were fighting and one of their big battles that they're gonna you know, that's gonna happen here where like you said, they're just horrified by how easily they killed I mean, the people didn't they were defenseless basically. You know, the time dilation makes a huge difference. Right. So after the the two main characters, they fight their first battle, they come back to Earth, and it's just going to be drastically changed. Earth is basically a big dump.
2: At one point in the book, they talk about the population capping over 9 billion people, mm-hmm. and it was just not sustainable. And so w- one of the things they did was they very much encouraged, uh, I think they called it homo life. Yes. And that way they could start Decrease in the population just by like you said, social birth control basically. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, they're they're just gonna be they're gonna feel, you know, so out of sp- out of place, especially, you know, after they fought a couple more battles and they've come back and, you know, we're hundreds of years in the future as opposed to just, you know, a this the first time they come back it's it goes from like ninety seven to twenty thirty six, I think, or twenty thirty four. Somewhere in that time range though. So Right. uh, Pretty early into the book, uh, after their first
2: campaign, Mandela is talking or reflecting about how he's already a 20 year veteran, but on Earth time, he's only 25 years old.
0: Yeah. His his biological age.
2: And so this, this is a theme that keeps recurring through this book is like this weirdness of my actual age versus Earth age versus sort of space age. Like how old actually am I? And are all the people I knew growing up, are they dead, are they alive? How you know. Mm-hmm. He he's very out of place, sort of like you said, he's dislocated in time.
0: So and then one other thing that's is funny too is is that he's going to continue Mandela is gonna continue getting promoted throughout the entire novel till eventually he actually leads a task force. Right. And he's promoted Basically, because he's the oldest guy around. Yeah, he will actually literally be the oldest soldier in. To ever fight in this war. Yeah, because I think by towards the end, there's less than. Like, of the original. I don't know, how many people were there originally? Like, a hundred or something like that? Yeah it, was, yeah, it was a small class. Yeah, it's going to be less than a dozen of them who are going to continue surviving. So it's going to be, like, less than a dozen of them that will, you know, continue surviving. So he's just going to keep getting promoted, even though he only survives based on pure dumb luck. Just like, I mean, this is something that that's really going to be changing, you know, by Vietnam. It changes in World War One and World War Two, you know, already, but in Vietnam especially, too, where you just happened to get lucky that you, you lived while your buddy died. I mean, there was nothing, it's not like you were a better warrior, you know, you were better at swinging a sword or something than your, than the person next to you was. You just, for whatever reason, that bomb didn't kill you, you know? And so the the book is definitely a, a big social commentary on that, that, that he's not I mean, they, you know, later on, they'll actually say, like, oh, yeah, you, you, your, your psych profile basically means you're, you're almost, you're one step away from being a pacifist. Like, you're not a good leader. People who are, who are, like, doing psych profiles and stuff, they'll, they know he's not, like, a natural leader, but he just gets promoted because he's old. And that's, I think that was kind of one thing, too, like, some of, there was a commentary at times in, the Vietnam War, of the, that maybe not all the generals were the greatest generals or not all the leaders were the people in power were there because they deserved to be in power, you know. Right. And so that's something that would have gone directly back to his life as well. I concur. Yay. <laughs> Good job. What do, you, what do you have that you want to talk about, KSP? Um, so
2: we talked a, a little bit about some of the social aspects of what Earth is like. Um, maybe a little bit more about that because I found it really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, they find out, what, midway through the book or so, that on Earth, uh, all currency is is now one. And the currency, though, is, is no longer based on, you know, a gold standard or or money paper or anything like that. It's all based on calories, and they call them kilocalories. And so that's how they spend everything. If you want to uh, hire a taxi to take you somewhere, you're spending calories, basically. And uh, if you want to eat, obviously, you're spending calories. And Earth is so decayed and degenerated and broken down and into such a barbarous state that almost everybody who's walking around is either somebody out to rob you or a bodyguard you have hired to protect you from these hoodlums, these these thieves and uh
0: gutter snipes. <laughs> Quite the word there, gutter snipe. <laughs> but yeah, and that's something that that he thinks he's going to, you know, be able to do well with at one point, because he's, you know, clearly a trained soldier. But he's gonna find out that even even that doesn't help him out, you know, and that he's just not suited to civilian life, and that's why he re-enlists the first time around. Well,
2: exactly. He he is literally told the only marketable skill you have
0: is as as a soldier. They are like when they first join this task force, they're actually drafted too, and said they're they're not volunteers, but everyone in it is has an IQ of above 150, so they're geniuses, and he's actually a physicist by training. But when he comes back 70 years later, he's going to find out that his training is so behind the times that he isn't a physicist anymore.
2: Right, and and this, uh, to kind of go off on a rabbit trail for a second, this reminded me of a movie I actually recommended to Cameron called The Man from Earth, where um, this guy had been alive since basically the prehistoric era. And he'd he'd lived on and on. And he'd had several degrees from uh, different colleges and universities, uh, extremely prestigious ones. But if you think about it, like a 100 years ago compared to now, what the education is like in virtually any field is completely different. Mm -hmm. And so when the opportunity arises for Mandela to to work in the uh, physics field, it's just, it, it's no longer possible. Be- mm-hmm. Because it, it's outmoded. Yep. What he knows and what's, what is known by uh, society at large.
0: Yeah. And so they'll just continuing with that theme of uh, like the social change. It's gonna be, once he goes back they'll they'll rejoin and get sent to combat again. And then they come back, and they don't actually go to Earth. They go to another planet, like a rest and rehabilitation type planet, mm-hmm. that is going to be completely crazy different again. Once again, almost everybody... It'll be, you'll actually be a sexual deviant if you're straight. Right. And they only speak their... They speak a completely different language at this point, basically, because obviously, just like how Middle English is basically more like German than, and, you know, what we speak now... Well...
2: Th- yeah, I mean that's true. To me, it was more like a pigeoning English, where like sort of the the basics and the root was English, but uh, so much jargon or mm-hmm. uh, slang had been brought into it that it was basically incomprehensible to Mandela. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Well, and it's gonna be funny too because once he's actually running the strike force, his subordinates hate him because he's weird, because he's straight, and because he, they're all forced to learn Eng- like uh, what to them is an archaic version of English, because their commanding officer only speaks that archaic English. You know, it's just such a... Basically, we, did, we keep bringing up stories, you know, and talking about these different things, but he felt that way when he came home, even though it was only a couple of years that he was actually in Vietnam. He just felt so out of place. It's why, I mean, it's something that, that continues on to this day. A lot of you know the like Iraq and Afghanistan veterans they kept going back to Iraq and Afghanistan and served you know six or seven tours because they just felt like they weren't they weren't fitting in at home and that's why so many veterans you know have issues with committing suicide and and mental health issues, you know because it's just such a different life when you're in combat than when you're in uh, when you're in civilian life, you know
2: yeah, absolutely. And if we go back a bit to around this time period, um if if you can imagine <clears throat> excuse me somebody going to vietnam at the start or even the the mid uh middle of the war so 65 67 somewhere in there and they come back and they come back in the summer of love or something like that where that war started and where it ended up and even the dialect or the way people are speaking about things and You know, sort of the social commentary of the ideas that that people are working on are so completely different, like it would seem like basically a different language, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously I wasn't alive then, but I can see how
0: that would've worked. Well yeah, and well and and you know, one of my uh history professors, you did you have burger at all in college? Yeah. yeah. So Burger, he uh Always talked with us about because I was a history major, and he always talked with us that basically the '60s that we think of as like the hippie time period started around like '68, '67, '68, and then went to more like '74, '75. So when we talk about the '60s, we really should be talking like late '60s, early '70s. And it was the the early part of the '60s he talked about was more like it was in the 1950s, where you listened to your parents, you know, you did what you were expected to do and it wasn't until the until the late 60s so a lot of these soldiers that like Casey was talking about that went even if you left in 66 and you came back in 68 cuz you served most people served 2 years to start off with and then it went on to a year later but it was it was a whole lot different of a life you know coming back especially if you came back to a major city You know, if you were somewhere in like rural Idaho or something, you probably came back and things were pretty similar. But if you were, you know, in San Francisco or New York or one of these big cities, it would have been a a big culture shock to come back to that.
2: Right. And just a a little bit of a sidebar on what Cam just said. Um, I had a high school teacher who basically said the same thing. He said, who said the next decade never really starts until about four or five years in. And so that kind of builds on what Cam was saying. So, like, the guys coming back from Vietnam, they were raised on values that, by the time they got back, were outdated. They were five, six, seven years old. I I do feel like there are many small points that really could be expounded upon. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons this book is so well-respected and regarded, is because um there are a ton of ideas and many ways to look at the sort of the social hierarchy and just almost everything is completely different and for me that's why this book is fresh and new and very interesting Mm -hmm.
0: so i mean all of these things it's not like any of the ideas that he's talking about um don't apply to today as well you know well and just to build on that
2: a little bit, you can, besides what we've already talked about with Halderman being in the military, there's there's kind of a whole spectrum of things that you can pick up on, even just very basic things like sort of the hurry up and wait aspect of the army or the military, which happens kind of repeatedly here. Like um, it's battle, 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 prepare, prepare, prepare fight and then sort of nothing for a while there's kind of a lull and then Halderman gets back into a little bit more of the personal relationships and how they all sleep around which we haven't mentioned up until now and you know they they smoke marijuana and all the all that sort of stuff and then it sort of builds back up and then it climaxes and then it comes back down which um what little experience I've had and my friends have had in in the military, that's kind of what it's always like.
0: It's hurry up and wait.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, let's get into our recommendation phase of it. Katie and I always do that, and I always like to say, did we like it? How did the book make us feel? Yeah,
2: that's always important. Yes. You
0: know, very Care Bear sort of thing. Yeah, and would we recommend it and all that kind of stuff. How full is our heart about this book, yeah. Yes. Pam? My My heart was very full, oh was it? Yes, but a little <laughs> bit broken, a oh. little bit broken. Sad. so, yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely loved this book. I have my snobbishness of, mm-hmm. of of with books and with the books that we've reviewed so far has largely boiled down to whether I think it has some social commentary or whether it's just a slash and dash like entertaining you know book. And I've definitely reviewed the books that have that moral commentary higher then I have the books that are just, you know, all about, um, rising a body count or, you know, like just being purely about entertainment,
2: super badass people killing other people.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So that, that made me really, um, really love this book was that, that it's a moral, you know, it's a moral commentary. So, uh,
2: did I like it? Yes. And to be quite honest with you i like it more now that i have sat down and talked with cam about it because on my own i didn't realize how many points uh how many highlights there are in the story and just how interesting it is i mean Mm -hmm. even from the economical point of view and the moral point of view and like the sexual orientation point of view i mean this guy really covers a lot of ground in not very many pages mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah i definitely liked it well
0: it's so funny like everybody that gets in here and records a podcast with us you know i think they think about that book that they've read a lot differently than if you just when you just read it like if you don't talk to someone about it, like Katie and I, you know, i t- I talked about this multiple times, but we really started doing this because we were talking in bed about um, a book we were both reading, and we were like, oh, yeah, like, that's a good, you know, point. Like, I never thought, thought about it this way, and right. Katie and I read the same books all the time, but we never talked about them, so then I was like, oh, well, this would be something really cool to do to actually talk about the books. Yeah, I mean, it's and really so, cool to
2: to change yeah. perspectives and yeah. s- see it how somebody else does. Yeah, or-
0: absolutely um on the the how did it make us feel (laughs) part like this book really for an awful lot of it made me feel like really sad and depressed just Mm -hmm. for like especially specifically for our main character Mm -hmm. and then i mean i guess the state of how the earth is but i really i feel like we're heading that down that road no matter what at this point you know so i've kind of got my fatalistic view on that but like (laughs) But you really care about the main character. Is it fatalistic or realistic? Mm, They can be the same thing. Okay. Fair enough. But, yeah, so, like, you, I I felt like I really felt the loss that our, you know, that the main characters feel. And it, you know, it made me pretty sad for a good portion of the book. Once you lose your anchors in time, then you really have to just start hurtling through time, you know?
2: Yeah. I... For how it made me feel, I guess I kind of go harken back to uh, Carter. And there was, for the most part, a general malaise for me. And I I guess some of that reflects what Cameron felt. Uh, I did feel sad. And I also felt sort of oddly out of time like the main character does. While you're actually reading it, yeah. Yeah. And so um like i said i i definitely liked the book but it 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 was not for me a a comfortable read like i did not feel good or happy or serene or anything
0: about reading it although you know like i kept at it so Mm -hmm. katie always gives me a hard time because I'm not good with details of a book. At the end, we can read the same thing, and Katie will read the same thing three or four times, and I'll see it like a movie in my mind, where the individual detail doesn't matter nearly so much as the thematic narrative does. Mm -hmm. And I was able to, for a lot of it, just like see it, you know, so well in my mind. I felt bad. I I felt like I was, like I was feeling that kind of loss, like you said, you know, and that sense of time dislocation.
2: Yeah, I've heard you mention that on the podcast before, and there are definitely several books that i greatly enjoy that sweep me away or carry me mm-hmm. away in the, in the way you're talking about like it's like you're watching the movie um and then there's other books where i will literally find uh, a missed apostrophe or comma or something like that because i'm just so tuned into the words not mm-hmm. as much as the story and for me this book was was more like the latter i I appreciated a lot of aspects of it, but I
0: was—I
2: didn't get swept away. Mm-hmm. It's the easiest way to say it.
0: Yeah. Okay, so um, on the would you recommend to others? Um, I actually just wrote a couple sentences. The if you're a real sci-fi person, I imagine you've already read this book. But I mean, I like I said, I'm not a, a big sci-fi guy as a general rule. Yeah, I'm not either. Yeah. And and if you're like a fantasy guy like me, you know you probably I hadn't even heard of the book, which is probably a travesty in itself that I hadn't heard of it. But like you should read this book if you like sci-fi or fantasy. You really should read this. If you don't even have to be a sci-fi and fantasy person, if you're into sociology or psychology, any of that kind of stuff. Like this is a book that I can't believe philosophy. Yeah, I mean, I really can't believe I never had a professor recommend this book, you know, being doing history and things like that.
2: Yeah, and for me, what I recommend it to others absolutely, 100%. Uh I would maybe I would maybe add the caveat of like try to keep an open mind and think about, you know, sort of some of these aspects we've brought up, the sociology, the psychology, the in the history of all that sort of stuff, or just give it to him blank page. I, I would still recommend it.
0: We always talk about um, since Katie and I are parents, the, of the main audience and who should and shouldn't read it. And obviously, this is thinking about things for in the future for Bram. But, but oh, wait, the, can I interrupt you? Oh, absolutely.
2: You uh, you didn't give finger quotes when you said parents.
0: <laughs> uh, sorry. Okay. Sorry. Hey, you know what? Our child, he seems to be doing okay. <laughs> We have, We He we, does well
2: by himself. He's <laughs> very independent.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, he's a clinger. He's a stage five clinger. <laughs> um, All right, sorry, go ahead. Okay, yes. So, uh, I don't really think that there's anyone, I mean, you might be too young to understand the social commentary, but by the time you're in your teens... This is the kind of book that, that you could be reading that you would have at least the the general ability to grasp the concepts. I think you probably need to be older before, you're, before these things really hit you, you know, and are as important to you. I mean, I know that at 21 I was a drunken idiot who probably wasn't ready to sit down and think about this in quite the same way that I am now. But... I mean, there is a fair amount of sex talked about and drugs, but it's not, like, super graphic or anything like that. Like, there's no, like, detailed sex scenes described. Um, There's violence, obviously, but it's not, you know, it's not like a sadistic torture scene being described or anything like that. Right, and it's not
2: wanton violence, like, uh, you know, slay everybody, everybody needs to die. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, the characters, you know, went like we talked about. I mean, they're fair. At times, they're fairly horrified at what they're doing. Like, they're not like just gleefully slaying people, you know. So, so it's not the kind of violence that like a parent should be concerned, you know, about your kid reading. Of you know, it's the kind of commentary on violence that you want your kid to read.
2: Right. And to bridge a bit off of what Cameron said um, in the past, actually, I. From a very young age, I was never censored about what I watched, uh, what I read, what I listened to. None of that. Um, And so maybe my perspective is a bit advanced, I guess. Because, you know, I was reading Stephen King books when I was like 10, 11, 12. Um, And I know parents nowadays, I think, are a bit more protective about what's going into their child's heads. Um, But if I had to give an age appropriate level i would say probably oh puberty and above mm-hmm. and i think that's when most people start um, developing those parts of the brain where they are um, starting to wrestle with moral questions about what kind of person they are what kind of person they want to be and a lot of those issues i think are addressed in this book no yeah
0: yeah So, our last thing that I always do is give it a rating based on a five-star rating. I can have a tendency to give, you know, inflated ratings at times. Very generous. Very generous. (laughs) Although, I just gave a one-star our last episode. You did. I listened. I did. Yes.
2: Bellfire.
0: Yeah. Barry liked it, though. Barry really liked the book. Oh. So, uh, I'm going to throw out a five-star rating on this. I mean, it... It won the awards for a reason, and it is a real social commentary. And it can make you feel uncomfortable, and it's you're not always going to, to just be super happy when you're reading this book. But that's what a book should do if that's what it's intending to do. And it does what it intends to do. It makes you think. It deserves its five-star rating. I'm not giving this an inflated rating here. So I'm going to give my rating at... Four point five out of five.
2: And the reason it doesn't get a full five for me is honestly it's just uh personal preference. Like I loved so much about this book. I loved the the moral questions and dilemmas and issues and everything we've already talked about. Um But my personal preference in a lot of uh, fantasy and sci-fi type of books is I like hyper-violent, crazy kind (laughs) of kind of books, Mm -hmm. and uh, this had some definitely some moments of um, violence, but not really what I'm looking for. I like you know the Rocky Balboa kind of training scenes and how they become an expert (laughs) in certain things, and like so you know what Cam's introduced to me with uh brent weeks and mark lawrence and those types of books i i absolutely uh am am in love with those things and uh so this was a bit different but um in no way a lesser book but um yeah so 4.5 out of 5 for me Mm.
0: So uh, Casey, I absolutely appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast today, and we'll definitely have to have you come again. And we'll maybe uh, you know we, you mentioned Brent Weeks, and I, Katie and I both we love everything that he, that we've read by him. That's another one that uh, we really need to review, honestly. So maybe we could get you to come and review one of those sometime.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's been interesting being here. Everybody always. <laughs> Kind of kisses butt and says how how great it is. Um, I like it. It's it's fine. Um, I d- I do think it's interesting to sort of bounce ideas back off of uh, some sycophant like Cameron. Well, clearly, sure. Um, but no, I mean it was fun. I, I had a good time, and uh, I appreciate being here. And for uh, all three of you listeners out there. Um, thanks for uh, ch- checking us out and seeing what we had to say. Awesome. Thanks, guys.
0: Have a great one. Bye.
1: On our next podcast, we will be reviewing The Black Prism by Brent Weeks.
0: It is the first book in what started off as the Lightbringer trilogy.
1: There have been four books released. And I will tell you, when I finish that fourth book... It was definitely not over. And at the time, there was no mention of any sort of follow-up needing to be done on his website. It's been a few months, though, since the first time I read this. So maybe that's changed. I actually am going to check that before we review it. Um, But we're rereading this for this purpose. Yes. (laughs) Yep.
0: So once again, The Black Prism by Brent Weeks. We have read it, both of us, um, all four of the books out so far.
1: All four books in the trilogy. Yes,
0: all four (laughs) books in the trilogy. And this isn't like our uh, last trilogy that was four books because the the third one was just so large. There's actually four. Yes. I think it was just huge. It was. Yep. So we would love it if you would rate and review us, you can
1: email us at Okay, at nerdbookreview at gmail.com, email us, email us pretty much anything.
0: Yeah. Whatever. Questions, comments, your own opinions. We will read them on air if we happen to hear them.
1: Read them? Well, I mean, we're not going to hear them from the email. Yes, if we read them. If we read them, we'll
0: read them. Well, maybe someone will send us an audio file. You never know.
1: What's it called? A Google Voice number. Oh, okay. And then people can leave. Audio. (laughs) Alrighty then. But we also have a website, nerdbookreview.com. Is that right? Yep. Okay.
0: (laughs) And we do rate and review books on Goodreads as well.
1: And your username is?
0: Nerdbook Review. Okay. Yep. (laughs) Yes, trying to keep the uh, Nerdbook Review all there.
1: Yeah, I I have my own separate one.
0: Yes, that she does stuff on.
1: I don't write out reviews. I just record what I've been reading. Ah. So...
0: Alrighty. Thank you very much. Have a good day. All right.